0: So he gave me a new microphone, all right. Well, good morning. We are continuing in our series, Devoted. Uh, We've been talking about the three great loves that every Christian has. uh, Your love for God, your love for the church, and your love for your neighbors. And this morning, I wanted to encourage you Uh, We're now in the third circle of loving your neighbor. We're drawing to a close here, and Larry asked me to speak and to encourage you. Now, you've already been prepared. Daniel has been warning you I'm coming, and I know that in your mind you're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, Rob's going to speak, and this is right in Rob's sweet spot, and there's nothing but conviction coming. Uh, He's going to make me feel bad. He's going to probably ask me to witness at least five people before my head hits the pillow tonight. Now I would not embarrass you by doing that, but let's go. Let's just show your hands of how many thought that before. No, no, we would. <laughs> I'm here to encourage you about being a bold witness in our lives, in the people that we know around us, and um, I want to encourage you. And I know you're probably thinking, how How can I be a bolder witness? And I'm glad you're asking that. And I've I want to do a couple things as we start today. One of them is I bought this really cool t-shirt that I think you can get one too, and it'll help you start conversation. So I'm going to turn my back because I'm going to put this shirt on so you can see it. So Hang on just a second here. How's that? (laughs) So I think that to be a bold witness, every one of us, we need to buy this T-shirt and think of the conversations that you will have when you you walk in. Y'all need Jesus. And man, right there, the door is wide open. So maybe maybe a T-shirt's not the best thing. How about this? Let me share with you a bad example of what witnessing looks like. Uh, this is a true story and then that'll kind of give us the baseline and then you'll feel encouraged that you're better than this guy how about that all right this come this is a true story y'all know uh, it's from a guy named Eugene Peterson and most of you probably have heard of Eugene Eugene is the writer of the message Bible uh, he's a, a pastor a scholar uh, he's a great Christian thinker uh, he's written some great books but he tells us about a time when he was in the first grade and a second grade bully named Garrison Johns had picked Eugene out to be his victim. And this is what Eugene writes. He says, I had been prepared for the wider world of neighborhood and school by memorizing, bless those who persecute you and turn the other cheek. He says, I don't know how Garrison Johns knew this. Uh, Perhaps it was a sixth sense that bullies have, I suppose. Most afternoons after school, he would catch up with me, and he would beat me up. He also found out that I was a Christian, and he taunted me with the words, Jesus, sissy. He says, I arrived home most days bruised and humiliated. My mother told me this had always been the way of Christians in the world, and I had better get used to it. She also said I was supposed to pray for him. One day, I was with seven or eight of my friends when Garrison caught up with us. And he started jabbing me. And he says, and that's when it happened. Something snapped. For a moment, the Bible verses disappeared from my consciousness, and I grabbed Garrison. To my surprise and his, I was stronger than he was. And I wrestled him to the ground. I sat on his chest. I pinned his arms to the ground with my knees, and he was helpless at my mercy. It was too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fist. It felt good. I hit him again. Blood splurted from his nose, a lovely crimson in the snow. This is, this is Eugene Peterson, the message Bible guy, writing this. He says, I said to Garrison, Say uncle. He wouldn't say it. I hit him again. More blood. Then my Christian training reasserted itself, and I said, Say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He wouldn't say it. I hit him again. More blood. I tried again. Say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and he said it. Garrison Johns was my first Christian convert. (laughs) Oh, wow. See, now you feel better now? You can do better than that. I promise you, you can do better than that. All right. Well, let's find our way. Let's look in the scriptures for a better example. And uh, you find your way to the to the Bible passage in first John, wherever that is, whether it's your Bible or your smartphone or your tablet or your iPad or whatever. And I'm gonna take this shirt off and I'm gonna pray for us because it stinks. It's brand new. I've had it in a bag in my office and it doesn't smell good. So let's do that. You do that and I'll take my shirt off and we'll pray. Let's pray. Father, we have uh, the great privilege of sharing good news uh, with this world. The good news that came to us originally, that saved us, that gave us eternal life, that washed our sins away. Lord, we get to share that with others. And so, Lord, we pray that you would encourage us and teach us and change us and excite us for the mission that you've called us to through your word today so Lord we ask you to come and guide this time for that very purpose and we pray in the precious name of Christ our Savior amen all right so we're looking at John chapter 1 and we're going to begin in verse 35 it says the next day again John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said behold the Lamb of God the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus now we get a view uh, in looking at this passage of a very, very special event that happened about 2,000 years ago that has real ramifications for, on us today. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a second. It's, but it's, a, it's just a special meaning even for us today and what happens here. John the Baptist is standing with his two disciples. And as Jesus walked by, John the Baptist preaches what is probably the shortest sermon in history. Now, the previous record been, had been held by Jonah. You, if you remember when Larry preached uh, from the book of Jonah, that, that Jonah used eight words. He said, yet forty days, and none of us shall be overthrown. And the whole city repents, and uh, the king even declares that there will be uh, mourning going on, and they put on uh, sackcloth and ashes. Eight words, and the whole city does that. Well, now John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God. Five words. And these disciples follow Jesus. Five words, and they follow Jesus. Now, obviously, as John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, they've heard about Jesus. John was the precursor. John was ahead of Jesus to to tell of the coming of the Messiah. And he had already called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is the third time that we see in the book of John that, um, that John the Baptist and Jesus have had this encounter. Now, notice that good preaching always points to Jesus. uh, And it says they followed immediately. Jesus responds to them in verse 38. He says, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And that's a a great question. This is, you know, Jesus is always good at asking the right questions, the probing questions. And this is kind of the first we see in John chapter 1. And it says that he said, What are you seeking? Now, it's not like, I mean, Jesus knew what they were seeking, but, but people would come to Jesus for all kinds of reasons. And so Jesus is questioning their intentions, and they, they want to spend the day with Jesus. And then we could ask the same, reason, the same thing here today. It's a question that we could apply. Why are you here today? Why have you come today? You know, maybe it's that you come to church on Sundays to, to get a sense of a fulfillment of a religious obligation, now, why are you here? What are you seeking? Uh, maybe it's the fellowship that we enjoy. Those people down at Northwake—they are they are so loving and caring and kind. And maybe it's just the great fellowship that we enjoy as the body of Christ. And those are good things, but they're maybe not the best thing. What are you seeking today? Maybe it's that great coffee that we serve in the lobby or those donuts that we have from the Main Street Grill. Uh, that's not necessarily the best reason to be here, but... Uh, what we do on Sundays when we gather together is that we in the teaching, in the preaching in the worship and all of the things that go on on Sunday morning are designed to challenge us and encourage us in our faith and to draw closer to our great Savior now if you're here and you're exploring Christianity, we're we're glad you're here but we want to challenge you to consider what Christ has done for you, that you our hope and our prayer is that you would see the greatness of God, that His mercy and His grace poured out on the cross for you, and that you would place your trust not in yourself, but in what Christ did for you. What are you seeking here? Back to verse 38. And he said to the, they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. And so they came and saw where he was staying and they stay with him that day for it was about the 10th hour they wanted more these they wanted more than a drive by sighting of Jesus they wanted to spend some quality time with Jesus they wanted to stay with Jesus they wanted to see what Jesus was about and they get it and they become followers of Christ their lives are transformed they're radically changed by this encounter with Jesus and when we meet Jesus that happens to us uh, we are transformed it can change our lives Who are these two disciples? Well, one is probably John, the writer of the gospel. Uh, He refers to himself as John the Beloved or John uh, the disciple who Jesus loved. Now, that seems a little bit arrogant uh, to say that you're the disciple that Jesus loved, but I guess if you write one of the gospel accounts, you can say what you want to say, but it seems that that his account has lots of details about this event, this encounter with Jesus, so we're going to we're going to uh, think that the first one is, is John, the disciple writer. And the other one is obviously Andrew because it says in verse 40, one of the two had heard John the Baptist speak and followed, him, followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now we learn a couple things right off the bat about Andrew. One is that he's not one of the, dis, the super disciples. He doesn't have a title like all the, other, uh, all the other disciples have. He's not called Andrew the Fisher of Men. Or like John, the beloved disciple, or Matthew, the tax collector, Peter, the rock, or Thomas, the doubter. I mean, maybe he's Andrew, the introvert. Uh, You know, we don't know. We just know that he's referred to here only as Simon, Peter's brother. And it seems that he's probably lived his life under the shadow of his brother. But Amazingly, it's Andrew and not Peter who first meets Jesus. And has his life transformed. And so it would seem that, that Peter, the one who has this great personality and is, is charismatic, is not the one who first gets to meet Jesus. Jesus has to draw in Andrew. And so it would seem that God is interested more in our availability and not so much in our ability. Uh, God doesn't need us to accomplish his will, but he wants to use us to accomplish his will and to spread his message. And notice what Andrew does right away. Verse 41. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. He made it a priority to get his brother to meet Jesus. He brought him there. He didn't say, you know, you know, one of these days, I, re- I intend to get Peter down to the synagogue when Jesus is preaching. That'll be a great thing. He's, he took it upon himself to go, to take a risk, and to go and to find Peter and to bring him to Jesus. It became his first priority. Have you heard the saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions? And I'm, I'm sure the, the, the intent of that is that people put off coming to faith, and they find themselves one day in hell because they kept putting it off. But I think perhaps some of those intentions that are paving that road are our intentions, that we intend to share the gospel, to share Christ with our friends and our neighbors, and we never get around to it. We never take that step of faith and, and speak to them about Christ. So don't let our good intentions get in our way and what we should do. We should be bold. Second thing I notice is there's no evidence that, that Andrew was ordained for the gospel ministry. Uh, he'd not been to seminary. And he probably did not have uh, training in the latest evangelistic program. He just did it. He just took a risk. He says, "This is so important that I've got to go and tell my brother Peter." And this is where it gets really hard for us, because we live in comfort. We live in being comfortable. Uh, We like our comfort. John Orberg says we cherish comfort. Comfort sells, he says. What's the best-selling recliner sold in America? The lazy boy. It's not the worker boy or the risky boy. It's the lazy boy. And what happens if we, you know, what do we call it when we, when we just want to sit on the couch? We veg. And we become a couch potato. And we love our comfort. We're afraid to step out. Uh, but Andrew took a risk. Andrew knew it was worth it. And he said, I've got to tell Peter. Peter, it's him. It's the Messiah. You've got to come and see. You've got to come and meet him. He will change your life. And there's a third thing that that, uh, you can notice here, and that is that Andrew is sharing his good news with family. Now, sharing the gospel with your family is hard. Uh, I mean, even Jesus had unbelieving brothers. It says in John 5, says, For not even his brothers believed in him. And so sharing the gospel, sharing the good news with our family can be quite hard, risky. Um, oh, I was probably been five or six, no, it's probably more than that. Seven or eight years ago, my mother decided to have a family reunion for her mother's side, the Thomases. And uh, my parents live in the mountains uh, near a resort, and my mother uh, rented part of the resort and invited uh, a lot of our, the Thomas side of the family to come to this reunion. Uh, and um, there are probably 40, 50 people who came to this reunion from as far away as Vermont and New Jersey. Yes, it is true. I have relatives in New Jersey. I don't know what they're doing up there. I don't know how they got there, but I have relatives in New Jersey. But they all came to this reunion, and my mother planned out this great uh, weekend of things to get get together and get to know each other, and, and our family, she invited us to come. Uh, and we went to this uh, reunion, and she said, Now, Sunday, let's have a church service at this resort. And guess who can speak at the church service? The paid family preacher. You know, when you, you know, if you're a pastor and you go to anything in the family, guess who gets to pray at every meal, every time? The hired gun. The. And so she's like, Rob, you can preach. And Kelly, my wife, you, she can lead the worship. And y'all will just have this families and so we go into this room and there are about 40 people and I'm related to everybody in there and uh so I, I, I preach I preach through this uh I thought it'd be a great idea to preach the genealogies of Jesus you know at the family union you know what that makes sense yeah and so afterwards two of my cousins Steve and Jim come up and they engage me in this conversation they're they're doubters they're like they're scoffing it and they want you believe this stuff and so I'm I'm discouraged and then one of my cousins came up one of my New Jersey cousins came up and said you know I really I get it and and she gives her life to Christ um family's hard but it's worth it take the risk um now I told you that that when we look at this passage of scripture we see something that is that is historical a great event. And that is that Andrew becomes the first in a long line, a continuous line of people bringing people to Christ. We get to see the kind of the historical event. The very first time this happened, when someone led someone to Christ. And it's Andrew bringing Peter to Christ. And for 2,000 years, people have been doing that. And that's just the way the gospel goes out. One life at a time. One life on another life. Sons and daughters and brothers and sisters and friends and co-workers bringing others to Christ. Amazingly, that that line of people sharing the gospel started there in Jerusalem, or near Jerusalem, uh, 2,000 years ago. And it began to spread out and out and out and out. And it just went out in concentric circles throughout the world. And it leads all the way to Wake Forest, North Carolina, and it comes through that door and it comes to right here. That it continues to go on, that people continue to share this good news with people, and people are saved, and it goes out. We're not meant to be cisterns of the gospel, we are meant to be conduits of the gospel, and there's a difference. The cistern is where it all collects and stops, the the conduit lets it pass through and continue to go on and on and on, out and out and out. And here we see the very first time it ever happened. And it's Andrew, the introvert. It's Andrew, the come-and-see guy. It's Andrew, the one who brings people to Jesus. We see Andrew again in in this same gospel in John chapter 6. Jesus teaching a large crowd. 5,000 people have come out to hear Jesus. They followed him out to the countryside, and it's been a full day of teaching, and they're all gathered around, and the food trucks didn't show up. Uh, we hope they show up today, but they didn't show up on this day. And Jesus asked his disciples about how they planned to feed these, this crowd. And in verse 8 says, And one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, there's that title again, Simon Peter's brother, You never, that's who he is, said, There is this boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Now, what good are five barley loaves and two fish for 5,000 people? And yet, Andrew didn't stop. Andrew said, if I can just get this this boy and his food to Jesus, he'll do something. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus did something. He multiplied that, and he fed the 5,000. Andrew would not say no. We see Andrew again. Oh, well, let me say this. If you're waiting to get all the answers before you share your faith, you're never going to get there. You just aren't going to get there because you can't have all the answers. But you need to step out in faith and share. Andrew didn't have all the answers, but he, but he knew who did, and that was Jesus. We see Andrew once more in the gospel, and guess what He's doing. John chapter 12. It says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew. And Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Philip's thinking, wow, we've got these Greeks. Now they're Gentiles, and they don't associate. The Jews don't like to associate with them. And and Philip's thinking, this might not be a good thing. We've got this group of Greeks, and they want to see Jesus. Better ask Andrew about that. And Andrew, what does Andrew do? Now, come on. Bring him. Let's come on. We're going to, we're going to take him to Jesus. We're going to let them meet Jesus. Andrew never said no for anyone. Let me tell you about a bad witnessing uh, in my life a, a while back. Not that it doesn't happen all the time, but I'll just tell you this story. I was working, this is went back when I worked for my dad, and there was a fellow that came in the store, and his name was Roy. And uh, I had tried to share my faith with Roy, but he was he was a pretty difficult guy. He was a character, uh, had a lot of profanity. He would, oh, he would cuss. And I would try to interject the, the gospel in some of the conversations that we were having. And um, frankly, I wrote Roy off. He was just a little bit too prickly, and um, I remember it was a Monday morning, and I was we were standing there at the counter where uh, people come in to, to place their orders at the store, and Roy came in that day, and um, he came up to the counter, and he said, "Guess what happened to me this weekend?" And the smart aleck me said, "You got saved." And he said, "Yeah, how did you know?" <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had written Roy off, but somebody else had not. And Roy came to faith. And, and I remember I, I, Roy started attending our church, and he was a changed man. Uh, I, I remember his son and how much uh, his son began to look at Roy was a feared man in his family. He was a hard man. And all of a sudden, Roy had this love for Christ, and it just exploded into his family. And, and he became a godly man. But I'd said no to Roy or for Roy. I didn't think Roy was interested in the gospel. Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he invited Andrew into that mission that day. And he he invites all of his followers to do the same. If, If you're a follower of Christ, he's invited you into that mission. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know, at the end of Jesus' earthly presence, Jesus gathered all of his followers together and he said to them, it's recorded in uh, different places in the scriptures, his last words. And last words are very important. When you have an opportunity to give the last words, you want to speak truth. You want to you want to emphasize what is of utmost importance. And so it's recorded in four different places in scriptures. The first is Matthew chapter 28. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In Mark 16, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Go to the whole world and proclaim the gospel. Luke 24, it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem. Beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Two things stand out that Jesus is saying in his last words. One is go, and two is witness. Go and witness. Go and witness. I mean, things have gotten pretty sweet. Jesus said, stay here in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. He did. Fire came down and, and empowered them. And he says, and when you get that power, you go out and you will be my witnesses. Go and tell. Be my witnesses. Start here in Jerusalem and go out. Go. Now, flip over in your Bibles or look at look at Acts 8.1. Now we're gonna go from Acts 1.8 to Acts 8.1. It says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Notice the two places that Jesus uh, said they would, that says that the writer of Acts says they would go. To Judea and Samaria, the two places that Jesus said you're going to go, he says that's where they went, that we should go. That as they went, they carried the message of hope, and as we go, we carry that message as well. The message went out, and it went out, and it went out, and it continues to go out and out, and it comes here today to us. 2,000 years later, it's here with us and it's in us, and we now are to go out in this area, this part of uh, the place where we are. God has determined the times and the places that we should live so that we should seek Him, so that people would seek Him through us as we as His messengers go out. There's an urgency in the gospel because the consequences are devastating. Our, it's our business to be a part of Jesus' business. He said, I've come to seek and to save what was lost. It's soul-saving that is our business. The church is not not the place for us to gather here on Sundays and talk about how good God has been and then forget about that when we leave. This is the pep rally for Jesus so that when we go out from this place, we'll remember what God has done for us, how He's empowered us, the goodness that has come to us so that when we go out, we can tell others. We'll be excited about telling others. Uh, It's not just about us gathering here uh, to help uh, make this community a better place by helping the under-resourced, the under-nourished, the under-housed, the under-educated be well-dressed, well-fed, well-housed, and well-educated. Now, hear me out here. What I'm saying is I'm not against feed or the service station or ESL or mops or teen mops. Uh, We should do those things. But they are opportunities that we have. To be messengers of good, the good news of Christ. Our mission is to reach the lost. That's the mission of the church. Now, our community is filled with well-dressed, well-fed, well-housed, well-educated people who will spend a Christless eternity if they don't meet Jesus Christ as their Savior. And it's the mission of us, the church, to tell them. We're the only ones that are going to do that. Our schools aren't going to do that. Our government's not going to do that. Uh, we are the messengers of hope. The Bible's very clear on this. Be there. Let's not have any confusion. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, and He died for the sins of the world, and that is our message, that we would help some People that are lost understand that and receive forgiveness and be saved. Paul says it this way uh, in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, "And uh, And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the testimony of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's the ministry that God has called us to. That's the mission that God has called us to. All right, let me finish with application. Um, Jesus isn't walking physically around among us so that we can grab someone and say, Come on down to 1212 South Main Street and you can meet Jesus. But we do have Christ in Christ, our story of how he changed us, and we have his story, the gospel. You know, Jesus told Thomas, he said, Blessed are those, because you've seen, but more blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And so it's ours to share the good news. And so I want to give you uh, a tool that will help you. So take out your worship guide and a pen. Let's see if I can bring this over. And I'll draw a picture for you. So get your worship guide out. You should have a little block on the back. Find a blank space. And i want to draw a picture. You want to know how to start a conversation? Here's a good way to start a conversation so everybody got their pen and pencil ready and your paper? All right, okay. I'm going to turn my back to you, so hope you can all see this. It's called The Three Circles. God designed the world and everything in it. It's God's design. He designed the world to be perfect in every way. And all of our relationships, our relationship with Him, our relationship with other others, it's perfect. It was perfect in every way. That was God's intention to create this world. But we have chosen our own path in selfishness and we have been corrupted by sin. We disobey what God has intended for us and it, it corrupts this, God's perfect design and it leads to brokenness. Can you all see that? The world we live in is broken. We know that. We can see that with our eyes. We know that from poverty and wars, that the world is not as God intended it to be. There's brokenness in this world. And it's not just on the outside. It's on the inside as well. And I think we sense that, and we want to try to correct that on our own. And so we make our own little efforts to try to correct this brokenness that we have. But yet, uh, our attempts lead us back. And these attempts look like religion. We try to practice religion. We think that religion will make us better. Or we try to self help ourselves. uh, But they all lead us back to our own brokenness. We needed something outside of ourselves to make a way. We needed to be rescued. And so God, seeing that, sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. He came, Jesus came lived and died a perfect sinless life for us, that we could have a relationship with God. And then he was resurrected, thus showing that he has power over death and sin. And so it's not enough just to know that, just to intellectually know that. We have to actually make it our own. We have to uh, trust in that. And that comes through repentance. I'll put repent and belief. And we must believe. Repent means to acknowledge that we're trying to do it on our own, and we turn away from that. and believe means to place our trust not in ourselves, not in our efforts to, to clean up our own act, but in what Christ did when he died and when he died on the cross, he paid the price that we owe to God for our own sins. And if we'll place our trust in that, it'll allow us to be restored, all right restore and to pursue God's original design, restore and pursue, and we know that God's grace is sufficient to save us if we place our trust in that and not in ourselves. You can draw that picture right there. If you, if you want to see that, uh, you can get that. It's available as an app from Life on Mission, and you can get it on your smartphone, and then you can just hold it up and show it to people. And you, they just even got a button where they'll play it for you. You don't even have to. You don't even have to draw it out. But that's a one way that you can uh, share the good news of Christ with the people around you as God opens the door. second thing I want to ask you to do is I want to ask you to pray. Paul says, um, Pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. That's Colossians 4. We need to pray and ask God, who is it that you have strategically placed in my life so that they might hear the good news? I believe that God does determine the the places that we live and the relationships that we have, the place we work, the place we, we play, the families that we're in. Who is it that God has strategically placed in your life? Would you pray and ask God to show you that person? And secondly, would you pray and ask God to provide the opportunity for you to share. Whether it's this or some other way. That you would begin that conversation. That you would in boldness step out. In opportunity and share the good news of Christ. And that when that opportunity avails itself. That you would boldly do it. Would you pray and ask God to do that. We are the church. We are the ones that God has given the ministry of reconciliation. And. Nobody else is going to do it. That was not his plan. His plan was for us to be his messengers. Let's pray. Father, it is a precious message that we bear, that we carry, that we have privilege to carry to the nations. Beginning here, Lord, in this place, where you have brought us, and so, Lord, I, I would ask, Lord, if there's someone here today who, who has heard this message and and maybe is understanding it, if you would speak to them, Lord, and they would. They would hear. And they would believe, and they would trust in Christ. Maybe today, beginning for the first time. Lord, if you're here and and that's you, Lord, and that's you, them, Lord, would you speak to them? And Lord, for those of us who know this message, Lord, would we be bold messengers of the good news of Christ? That you would show us the people in our life you've called us to to be a witness to. Whether that's the the person that we meet this afternoon that we've never met before, that maybe you brought along our path, or that's our next-door neighbor, our coworker. Lord, would you do that for us? Believing, Lord, that that is what you've called us to do in Christ's name. Amen.